Hey, this is Tommy Wiseau, and you're listening to Cinesnap broadcast and podcast and whatever you call it. Hopefully, you enjoy it. Again, this is Tommy Wiseau. Give support these guys. They need you. They are good people. Bye. <laughs> hey, thanks, Tommy. The Cinesnap podcast is brought to you by Alamo Draft House. Uh, hey, an event coming up uh, next week at Draft House, the 13th. They're screening Almost Famous. Mm. I love that movie. I know you do. That's that's probably the best Cameron Crowe movie, wouldn't you say? Yeah. It's a, um, I like Jerry Maguire, too. But yeah, definitely Almost yeah. Famous. That was my favorite one in that year that he came out. This is a screening presented by IFC Films. Uh, and they sh- are showing exclusive clips of the show Marin. Because uh, I don't know if you know, Mark Marin is, has a brief role in mm-hmm. Almost Famous. And uh, he, back when he was not famous... Uh, <laughs> I knew Mark Marin from way back in the Comedy Central days. He used to host a show called, uh, what the hell was it? It was like a stand-up clip show that Jon Stewart also hosted at one time. Premium Blend? No. This is way I have no idea. That. This is like clips of old. Anyway, they're, gonna, they're getting off topic here. Let, let's be spend showing, five minutes figuring out what this is. They're going to be showing, uh, that's at uh, uh, West Lakes, Alamo Drafthouse West Lakes on May 15th. Almost Famous, presented by IFC Films. 13th. What did I say? 15th. I'm sorry. May 13th. And it's free. At free, Alamo Drafthouse, Westlakes. So let's start the show. In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many to produce a relatively listenable podcast. Devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Okay. Okay. No. They're puppets. No, and <laughs> Muppets are puppets. This is gonna... <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever. But it's uh, Feig. I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster Hulk armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the Cine Snob Podcast. Now that we've finally seen Age of Ultron, Kiko, do you have a new appreciation for the uh, fat Iron Man that's uh, in the intro now? When we talk cluster? about uh, the movie, I'm going to mention how those are the best scenes in my opinion. A little, uh, little preview for the Age of Ultron <sighs> review coming up. Oh, no. I'm depressed today. Well, okay. Let's, get this, a... let's get this out of the way first. Uh, welcome to episode 45 of the Cinesnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. I'm Kiko Martinez. It's episode 45. Um, stay on the NBA theme that we're going to get into in a minute. Just like Jordan wore when he came back. Do you remember <laughs> that? Yeah, for a while. Anywhere the 45 for like three weeks. Anywhere another number for a while. Like one one game, like twelve or something. Yeah, but that's because uh, somebody like his, stole his, his jersey. jersey. Got stolen. <laughs> yeah, hmm. yeah. Anyway, forty five. But then it was like he sucked it up as number forty five, so he went back to twenty three. Remember, there was a big stink about that because his number was technically retired. What the twelve? The twenty three. Oh, the twenty three. Yeah. I, what, do, what do you think about that? Every single NBA team retiring the number twenty three. Well, that's not true. No, 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 I'm saying they... People. Oh, I think that's bullshit. LeBron, <laughs> that was LeBron's thing, though. Because oh. he didn't wear 23 when he went to Miami, but now he fucking wears 23 again back in Cleveland. Mm. So, I, it's just a number. I mean, if it's your team, obviously. Well, uh, do you remember Miami retired 23 
back when Jordan retired. Do you remember that? Yeah. And they gave they made some weird banner that was like half Wizards colors, half Bulls colors. Yeah, I thought that's what every NBA team wanted to do. But anyway, no. we're talking basketball because uh, our beloved San Spurs Antonio Spurs were knocked uh, out. Were knocked out of the playoffs last night in the first round, and probably the most competitive, evenly matched first round series ever. Would you say? I think that's probably fair to say. I mean, the teams are separated. Uh, it was, the Clippers were a three seed. Spurs were a six seed. But there was literally one game separating them in the standings. Clippers won 56 games. Spurs won 55. <laughs> and they've, they've, that was more than the other seven teams in the, in the East, mm-hmm. minus the Hawks. Right. So now that was, the, that was always the worst part about this series. Like two great teams. One of them is going to have to go home while the piece of shit's over in the, <laughs> pieces of shit's over in the East that were actively tanking, that were, had 500 records made the playoffs. Right. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about it ultimately? Let's, let's talk a little <laughs> basketball here first. Is it, does it, you know, I, I'm going to tell you how I feel first. I feel okay with it because we were at the depths of as low as we could go in 2013. Heartbreaking game seven loss in the finals after having it in the in our hand then this amazing redemption in 2014 yeah like this year was kind of gravy for me i you know i prior to even the series against miami uh the first time around all i wanted was one more title for duncan yeah you wanted him to match kobe to, yeah to, and to a lesser extent ginobili and parker but really for duncan i wanted yeah. one more and we got that we we should have had two but we had one right and so i i told myself i was you know what i'm i'm okay with it and then they started off terrible this mm-hmm. past year. And as they turned it around at the end of the year, I'm like, uh-oh. Like, here we go again. They might have a shot. And, you know, it's it's difficult because in that series, you really can't... I think maybe the way the series went is that I just don't think they were meant to win that series against they, the Clippers. What, Tony was playing hurt. Tony Parker was, yeah. was obviously hurt. Kawhi, did, Kawhi had one great game yeah, uh, and didn't really... Get into the swing of things. Danny Green, Danny Green was notorious terrible. dead eye. He was great last night, uh, defensively. Defensively, at, at least. Yeah. Uh, Duncan had a, an all time performance again last night, which is amazing at thirty nine. It's just considering it's... I can't even look at my phone in the car <laughs> without getting sick now at thirty six. But you know, it's one of those things where you know you think that you feel one way, and then it actually happens, and you feel completely different. Because I really thought I was I was cool with whatever. And I was especially cool when I saw them not playing so well, but then they got my hopes up again. And like I said, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, you know, Chris Paul gets injured, he sits out, the Spurs don't do anything. They should have built a lead when he went out of the game for a good five minutes, and they didn't do it. And then when he came back, he just couldn't miss, and he was playing on one leg, and it was one of those things where, like, you know, I just, it just the second he came back in, I'm like, this is not good. Yeah, I I don't know. I just, I want to win every year, (laughs) you know, and it's impossible to do, so... Every time they get knocked out, I mean, it happens. And I, I mentioned this last night, but there's those milestones that you remember through these past 15 years of wins and losses. Where were you when, you know, point four happened? When, where were yep. you when Ginobili fouled Dirk? Where Ray were Allen. you when Ray Allen hit the, you know, there's tons of those. And I, last <laughs> night's is going to be another one of those. Well, I don't, it doesn't hurt. Is I mean, I've obviously said that it doesn't feel as bad to me, but I think an early exit like this in what is widely seen as, because other we had the first round exit a few years ago against the Grizzlies, and that was an embarrassment. Yeah. yeah, this was this was this was a captive. Like if you looked at Twitter last night before the fight, this is what Twitter was talking about, and after too. Yeah, 
the, the thing that I don't like about this, and I, I think probably the worst thing about this loss for me, is that forever people people like to hang the Duncan and the Spurs era team, or this era Spurs team never repeated, and they're always going to be able to hold that over their head at this point. And I just hate that that's like the one thing that they never did, that, yeah. that people sort of hang on to to Man, I don't take know. away from them. I don't know. that. I mean, I... I, I I really feel like all of those demons are were forever excised last year. I, I don't think in the eyes of Spurs fans it matters. But much. I mean, even in the public eye, because nobody nobody sort came of. to to respect them more. Like, holy shit, these guys have won five titles over fifteen years with with one guy. That's they, true. But when the Spurs, I, I you know, they were showing graphics of Game Seven, just stuff like Spurs have never repeated, never, yeah. and, and even I think even during Pop's press conference, it said Spurs have never repeated. Yeah, and so I just I, I don't. That's the only bad thing about it. And, of course, we're talking – we're super spoiled to have this team that we've <laughs> been – I mean, like, I'm I'm 25. I barely know a Spurs team that never made the playoffs. You didn't know the fucking Carl Malone Stockton years when they would just kick our asses in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rockets. A first-round loss to the, to the you know, uh, Jazz was not unusual. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, never, I never bother with those. I hate – national stats i love national broadcasts but they the need to throw the endless amount of stats at you um you know i i hate whether i'm on the the side that's winning or not i hate the running clock of 7-0 run in the last 353 354 355 it's just something to fill time and I, i think the repeat thing it's hard to repeat yeah uh that's why so many so few teams do it uh, I just hope it doesn't hurt their status as like an all-time franchise. That's what I'm saying. Is I think that that last year that got cemented. Like here's here's these guys on the tail end of supposedly on the tail end of something that yeah. that put together a championship run and like a dominating championship run. And well, not only that, but I th- I don't think that the narrative could gone could have gone any better. Yeah. last year, just the whole because there was there was more to it. There was the revenge for last year. There was that total heartbreaking loss in the finals that they were able to come back from there was like the emergence of Kawhi leonard as a superstar uh you know you've got 37 year old tim duncan at the time and how do you feel about Kawhi leonard uh in your heart of hearts i think he's amazing i think and i think he's only going to get better do you think though that he should have been turned on more for this series like because he had some like not i don't want to say no shows but just Games that he didn't affect the outcome of at all. I wonder how much of that was when he was switched on to Chris Paul because he, you know, when he has to work really hard on defense, he may not have the energy to dominate. Because you, you got to remember, he's a player who's just now getting used to having the offense being run through him. So yeah. previously, he could work his ass off on defense and be able to be effective, at least on the offensive end. But to have an offense run through you and to, to, try to get in front of you know a player who is constantly moving um it could have worn him out a little bit but he's also he also wasn't as aggressive as yeah, he, yeah like i don't think see. i don't think he was as aggressive. he's 23 years old he's only going to get better of course that's a given on, on the offense on the defense he's i mean top notch um i just from a pr standpoint i just wish he had a little bit more personality you know no i love that about but that's him. the no, that's, a, that's that total I, spurs yeah i know that but i mean it's worse than duncan i mean everybody thought how duncan was so quiet and you know reserved and this guy just is a square big time <laughs> well who who would you who would you like him to, to model I just wish himself he, no not, nothing in terms of that i mean i just wish he would you know open up a little bit more i mean there, there needs to be some kind of 
I mean, I don't want him to turn into like a Kobe Bryant or a, you know Russell Westbrook or anything, but there has yeah. to be some kind of cockiness to your game to get some attention. Well, I mean, like, there was that's, that's never been a Spurs thing though. Like nobody has been has had a cockiness. It's always like, it, not team maybe first and... right, right. But maybe it's just on such a different level. He wants he wants he basically wants Kawhi to do the big balls dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm looking for. It's such on it's on such a different level than everybody else because I think he's. I mean, when you hear him on the you know interview, it's just really <laughs> really hard. It's pull like pulling teeth with him. So it's if he just took a little step a notch up. I don't know, man. Something. I love the fact that he can just throw down a, like a monster dunk and just his face just doesn't change. He'll just he, land and run back the other yeah. way. I, I'm yeah, I'm a fan. I wish he would have been a little more aggressive this series. I think that uh, the you know obviously him being the future is a good. I mean, obviously, I think it's what ninety nine point nine point nine 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 percent. He's coming back, right? Oh yeah. I don't think he's going anywhere. No, he's else. not going anywhere. Um, but again, I'm okay with the loss. I don't like it, but I'm not as devastated as I thought I'd be. I I can't imagine. We talked about this, you and I, Kiko. Once you came over to my house after they lost in the finals, I can't remember what you came over for, but you were like, it was uh, like the day after to get consoled. Yeah, it was like the day <laughs> afterward, and you were like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like just and like that was a serious, and I had that same attitude. Like I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I could. I mean. Because it's because we got out early, you know, like May second is early because there's still a whole month and a half of this to go. Yeah, and it, it becomes grueling. So if you get to the Western Conference Finals, because they've been the last three years, it's been it was Conference Finals, 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 finals and that's a long time to to have your hopes up and just this fervor builds. And then the conference finals loss was like, oh fuck, we lost four in a row. Yeah, after winning what seventeen in a row, something like that. I think that. it was twenty. Was it twenty? I mean, they won twenty in a row, and then they like, lost four. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, oh, with uh, OKC. Okay, yeah, yeah, and then you know to have that finals loss, but then to have the redemption after that, that was perfect. You so know. basically, you're like taking a breath of, uh, like, I'm like, it sucks, like, but, but I'm okay. like, and then, and I, like, least, selfishly, I'm like, well, now I, my plans aren't dominated by <laughs> yeah. games every other night. I can yeah. go to, can I can go go to, to Geeks Who Drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, did you hear the story that uh, Cody and I kick some ass at Geeks I heard, Who Drink? I heard. So. Yeah, we're going to defend our title. That's right. Look out. Look out. World. Five other teams. Yeah. There. <laughs> Look out a table of old ladies. <laughs> uh, so the other story, and I didn't do it. I didn't pay attention to it, but uh, you two watched the fight. Yeah. Night. How did you watch? How could you even care about that after that Spurs game? It was hard. It was hard to. Maybe that's why it seems so like inconsequential to me. As it, you kind of had to take your walk of shame around a little bit because yeah. we were we were outside. So I, I just kind of paced around for a little <laughs> bit and and kind of got it out of my system. And it, you know the fights. I mean, I wasn't a fan of the fight. I don't like watching Floyd Mayweather fight. It's it's stupid. You know, uh, you know, stick and move. Always, always on the, always on the run, and it's. I mean, it's smart boxing. I guess it's just not the most entertaining. To watch. Oh, not, not at all. Every time he got jabbed, he would get out of the way and just uh, get out the way, and then he would just like, you know, retreat. Hey, what the fuck was up? I, I only saw this like little bits on Twitter and stuff. Why did uh, Floyd May was it Floyd Mayweather had the Burger King? Yeah, King Burger behind? King and Justin Bieber, and then Pacquiao had Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> what come the out fuck with is them. happening? I don't know. What, was that? <laughs> well, Burger King, of course, is product placement. But uh, I mean. But they have they don't use the king anymore. That's not their 
Like that mascot was retired a couple years ago. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's just a sideshow. Boxing yeah. boxing has become a total sideshow and I've never paid attention. I mean, the the closest I got was playing Mike Tyson's Punch Out back in the '80s. You didn't follow Butterbean. It was funny. I liked I liked his uh, his appearance in uh, the first Jagas when he just rang Johnny Knoxville's bell. <laughs> There's an episode of uh, Tosh Point Do you what you watch Tosh right? Where, I did before. Where he he gets in the ring with Pacquiao. Yeah, and he just lets Pacquiao hit him. Yeah, and he just fucking destroys him. Yeah, like, and just just stands there and takes a punch, and he's just. Blurr. The weirdest thing I think it is, uh, and this was an onion thing that went around last night too, that Pacquiao's a fucking congressman from the Philippines. Pacquiao's a weird dude, man. He's he's got a lot going on, <laughs> but you know, it's the thing was um, like what would ha- what was happening last night is that Pacquiao would get. Because Floyd Mayweather's not very good when he's against the ropes. And so Pacquiao would back him down to the ropes, start punching, and then uh, Mayweather would just duck out. He would roll out and get away from the ropes, and that would take away any chance. Because you're basically not going to beat Mayweather uh, in points because he's he's one of the, he's a guy who will um, – he connects on most – like if you look at the, the percentage of which he connects on versus Pacquiao, it was – you know. A, a world of difference. Yeah, he, I don't understand the point system in boxing. I don't understand how it's, boxing doesn't just end with somebody being. Well, out. it's I mean it's punches thrown versus and punches landed. You know, and you want to have a high percentage of. So shots can you landed. punch? I mean, I know you can't hit below the belt, right? But so you can you punch anywhere? Like if you can't run, punch in the back of the head. Uh, but like if a dude's turning around, can you punch his back? No. no. Can you punch his arm? Uh, I guess if you want. <laughs> what is that going to do though? Well, I mean, if it's just a, if it's a if it's about. I mean, points. you're mostly seeing think jabs to the body or to the head. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of the standard. I could punch you in the stomach right now, and I'd, you'd go down. You get you get ten points for a dick punch. <laughs> <laughs> that's ringing your bell in another way. <laughs> ringing your bells. <laughs> I, I so did y'all y'all did a thing where y'all split the cost, right? Well, yeah, I split it with my buddy, so it was a fifty bucks. Was it worth fifty bucks? Fuck, Fuck. no. I don't know, man. I thought it was just a, a dull fight. It was. I agree. I don't understand that racket at all. I mean, it's. I mean, I understand it, but I don't. I don't, I don't understand know. how so many people are like, "Yes, hundred dollars, sure." I, I I think that it's because people were waiting for it for so long. Has yeah. any of the have any of these big events ever satisfied? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like yeah. what? What's the most satisfying boxing match like this? Well, any of these uh, title, big title matches are fun. Uh, if the two fighters come out at the same time, and the one that uh, the one that I remember that was as disappointing as this one was the Mayweather and De La Hoya fight. I don't know if you saw that one, but I, I don't watch boxing. I was <laughs> pretty disappointed with the the Mayweather Canelo fight from a couple of years ago because Canelo clearly wasn't ready for that. Uh, but yeah, I would watch them growing up. I mean, all the Tyson stuff. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not old enough to remember, you know, back in the heyday of boxing. But yeah, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, I don't know. It feels Cash it feels like boxing is so <laughs> is so primitive compared to the popularity of UFC now that it's almost I don't get like UFC a, a dying either. breed. I don't get UFC. I like either. UFC, but because you like those dudes dry humping. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I see. Cody I know, would be I know uh, that's a stereotype, but it's like you you're just watching like UFC 198. <laughs> guys in shorts dry humping. You're just watching like the dry hump compilations on YouTube. <laughs> just like the most homoerotic. We uh, know what kind of, of uh, MMA fighter Cody would be. Ground and pound, grappling on the floor. 
I don't even know what that means, but it sounds you, you don't know what ground and pound you know is. Ground and pound. It's where you. It's a fighting style where the guy will get on top of you and just beat the shit out of you. There's no like technique in it. You yeah. just get why'd him on the you, ground. Why'd you use air quotes around beat the shit out of? Because there's they're not literally like beating <laughs> shit out of a person. <laughs> it's just punching them in the stomach. Like <laughs> shit right now. <laughs> shit. I think he yeah, sounds well. like a uh, a scene from the Human Centipede. <laughs> Anyway, enough about sports on this movie podcast. We do have uh, another announcement to make quickly. Go ahead. Okay. I, I didn't I didn't think I would be put in charge of it. But you're, okay. you're in charge of it because you were very happy that you finally got to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we've been teasing uh, for the past couple weeks our next Alamo Draft House screening, and Jared pretty much, uh, you know... It's dazed and confused. Yeah. <laughs> you know... <laughs> You are the most like I, I try to build anticipation for this stuff, and you're just like, Ugh, I'm just gonna let it all out at once. <laughs> so yeah, days of confused, May 11th. Who cares? Monday, May 11th, 7 p.m. at Alamo Draft House Park North. It's a quote along. Quote along. Now I don't know this movie as well as the uh, other two movies that we've we've screened. Yeah, uh, well, uh, it's a talkie. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a it's, it's a dialogue driven type. Well, yeah, film. it's Linkletter's, uh, not his d- debut film, but his big break film, right? You right. would say? Yeah. Uh, you could say that. Lots of big stars when they were young. Yeah. Uh, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Mila Jovovich. Mila Jovovich. Uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, obviously. of course. Um, guys that kind of went on to, that had a little bit of a uh, run and then kind of flamed out, like Nicky Cat. Um, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Adam Gold, not is it Adam Goldberg? I think it's Adam Goldberg. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's another one where uh, the tickets are reserved. So if you want to pick your seat and get a good pick, you need to get your ticket. It's only five ASAP. bucks. Five bucks. Five dollars. Only five. It's our bucks. back. It's our end of school special. School's yeah, out for the summer. Almost, almost time for summertime. So. <laughs> You Cody's know, wearing his bikini underneath his shirt. I right thought now. I thought that because we're, we're Cody's pro- going to Splashtown every day. <laughs> it's the water park you can take the bus to. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's was a, that part of the commercial? <laughs> I would assume so. That's a, that's somebody a guy at work said about Splashtown one time, <laughs> like to, to demonstrate it. Just if they want to sponsor, I'm not. I please ignore the following statement. But since it's like in the city, yeah, and. Like, it's cheap. It's the water park you can take the bus to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wait. it's always fun to hear the Splashtown Schlitterbahn debate that doesn't exist because nobody would pick Splashtown over it. Well, I mean, they, here. yeah. Well, it's Go closer than the fly. There's a fly up there. How am I going to kill it? Smash it when it gets bent behind the blinds. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Got it! Woo! Woo! That was better than the than the Mayweather uh, Pacquiao <laughs> fight. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, there's there is no uh, comparison there for regional water parks. Schlitterbahn and your Braunfels beats. This is uh, our new regional water park <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Have y'all been to Schlitterbahn lately? No, they make some like crazy like tube ride that. Is it still the hottest, coolest time in Texas? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love it there. Uh, it's like it's it's old and and strange, and you can take like a picnic. Uh, a picnic basket. A picnic basket. <laughs> Say that, boo boo. Let's go ride the tube ride. <laughs> Have a picnic basket. <laughs> this is 
our weirdest intro of all time. Uh, anyway, May 11th, Monday, we'll be there, Alamo Draft House Park North. Days to Confused. That's it, right? Be there. Five bucks, quote along. Or be square. Uh, I don't know the quotes of this movie at all, except for all right, all right, all right. Well, that's the, why they're showing them on the screen. And the high school, whatever he says about high school girls. You don't know the L-I-V-I-N? No. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, let's go ahead and move. Oh, you got something else? No, it's go just ahead. it's just great that we're promoting this awesome screening that you're like, eh, No, I'm just saying I'm not that. familiar with it. I don't know the quotes. So, I, I mean, it's it's good to know. I'm not knocking it. Don't Don't say that I'm... Anti days to confuse Cody. <laughs> I would never say that about you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to news. It's time for the real rundown, recapping this week in movie news. First up, director of the upcoming likely disaster, Fantastic Four, Josh Trank, also director of Chronicle, is out as a director of one of these Star Wars anthology films, as they're called now. Mm-hmm. Uh, his statement was that he wanted to focus on original yes. uh, works. Yeah, uh, that was the initial statement the day that the news broke. But the rumor is, Cody... Well, the rumor is that um, Mr. Trank caused a lot of trouble on the set of Fantastic Four. Um, and of course, this is all rumor at this point, but this was reported in The Hollywood Reporter. So um, I don't think they would just post anything. That wasn't at least <laughs> somewhat substantial. Um, well, yeah, the rumor is that. Uh, the, also, the rumor is that the movie sucks. Well, the I mean, it's been it's been thought of for a while that the Fantastic Four is going to suck. Um, there's been tons of reshoots. There's been a lot of stuff going on. But but we the Hollywood Reporter gave us a little bit of insight into exactly what the problems were. And, and one thing that's important to know is that the Star Wars anthology and uh, Fantastic Four share a producer. In Simon Kinberg, and so um, so basically, uh, they're saying that uh, Trank's behavior was called uh, erratic, and he that he was very isolated, that he didn't offer clear direction. Um, and one of the quotes was, "If you've got someone who can't answer questions or who isn't sure or is in hiding, that's not good." Uh, but there's also some weird stuff to this story, <laughs> which uh, which is that um, Trank was living in a, a rented house in New Orleans. And he had some small dogs with him, and who uh, <laughs> and apparently there was a hundred thousand dollars worth of property damage done by him and his dogs. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, he'd leave them there all day or something, right? Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, and here's another quote from an insider again. Uh, he compared Trank to one of those kids who comes to the NBA with all the talent and none of the character-based skills to handle it. There's equipment he doesn't have yet. And uh, and so basically, it's just that and a mix of that and just being indecisive and not communicating to everyone that has uh, Simon Kinberg who doesn't want to work with them again. It's, and uh, yeah, it's a pretty classic case of uh, a guy gets a big gig after a small film. And I guess most of these guys, these directors can handle it like they can handle scaling up. Right. But every now and then you get somebody who. Who doesn't? Uh, what was the Boondock Saints director's name? Do you remember that? Uh, I can't remember his name. Sean something. And you? Did you ever see the documentary about the making of the film? No. Fuck, I can't remember that documentary's name. Troy either. Duffy was oh. the name of the director. Troy Duffy. Off. And uh, there's a, a documentary about it. What is that called? Do you remember? Mm. I, I watched it on Netflix a few years ago. But uh, basically it's uh, 
like these guys get all the money thrown at them to make this thing, and then they start to fuck it up, and that's mm-hmm. what happened. And part of that was Weinstein's were involved in uh, uh, Boondock Saints, and they're kind of crazy too. But they just got all this money and like built this weird attitude and started doing crazy things, and then the movie got basically taken away from him. Yeah, like, like scuttled. And this is what the rumor was about Fantastic Four that I heard about six months ago that they wanted to hire somebody else. Well, and they did bring in some other producers and stuff to help finish it because Trank was not getting the job done. Yeah. So, like, they the, this article says that Stephen Rivkin uh, uh, was pulled in to do it. And then when they did reshoots, they had uh, Simon Kinberg and another producer come in. Uh, to direct it? Well, to, to to make them heavily involved in him. So they were working on X-Men Apocalypse, and they had to leave X-Men Apocalypse to help out with Fantastic yeah. Four. So, wow. So, I thought they made Fantastic this Fantastic Four to be better than the one that was made in 05. Well, I think that was the goal, but <laughs> but it looks like that uh, Trank couldn't handle the, the job. And this is very weird, too. I mean, when you're handed a franchise like this, and, and but not only um, Fantastic Four, but when you're given a Star Wars movie and... and and to have it taken away has to be terrible. I mean, because you and I were talking about it, because when we talked about it, the, the news had just hit that he left. And you and I were like, no, there's no way. There was no way someone would willingly leave a guaranteed moneymaker that cannot – I mean, it's not only going to set you financially for life or for at least a long time, but it's going to open up doors for you to do whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Like I mentioned uh, to you, Guillermo del Toro leaving The Hobbit yeah. was – Probably the one of the worst things he could have done for his career, because those movies were going to make a billion dollars anyway. Yeah. So it might as well have been Guillermo del Toro making them. That way he can get all of his other half baked ideas. Well, and we see out them, the window. We already see him having trouble finding funding for some of. Well, that yeah, that's stuff. what I'm saying. Like if, so. if he had, if he had gone to, on to make the Hobbit movies, and good or bad, they were going to make money. Oh yeah. Uh, so he might as well have been the recipient of it because there's a lot of fans out there for him, his stuff. Of his stuff. I'm not necessarily one of them. I think there's a lot of good ideas that aren't ever really quite thought all the way through. Yeah. But like you said, like Pacific Rim, I guess a hit movie, but not a big enough hit to warrant an automatic sequel. And they're trying to get a sequel off the ground. Yeah. So basically you're pro selling out. That's what you're saying. Hey, man, (laughs) if you want to be an auteur about it, then – you know, and and who's to say that the that his Hobbit movies would have been bad? Well, know? it's I mean, you it, it's not out of the question to see one of those guys. I mean, for a while, Darren Aronofsky was attached to the Wolverine, and he was going to do that until he dropped out. He was also attached to uh, whatever the Batman reboot was going to be before Batman mm-hmm. Begins. Yeah, and I read some of that stuff, and it's fucking stupid. Yeah. But. <laughs> so I mean, and you know, we again, we don't know if any of this about Trank is true, but if it is, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a one of those weird Hollywood stories where like some guy just blew it. I mean, he, he, he bit, he, he bit off more than he could chew, apparently, or either that, or uh, he is just uh, purposely being a dick. I don't, I like, I don't know. It's, I would, I would probably lean a little more towards blew it. Yeah. Because. Uh, the dog thing doesn't sound real. The dog story. Well, that that you know what that sounds like though. That sounds like like this petty shit that gets leaked, uh, just so it can be like an extra weird story. Right. Well, it just sounds like he didn't do a good job. The the final product of Fantastic Four is not good. Yeah, and well, because so, I mean, that's been sw- swirling around for months. Now, right. The so movie is terrible. After sitting down and realizing that they can't fix it, 
then you look to see what else you put them in to to do, and, and it's and not going to work out. I, and you know what? I it's it, it would be one thing if it was just hey, Fantastic Four is not as good as we thought it it would be. Um, maybe he's he's not ready for that. But I think it's another when you have some stuff being questioned about his ability to run a giant production because Star Wars is going to be a giant production, even more so than Fantastic Four is. Yeah. And so if you got if you have a guy who can't manage a giant production, then you're going to end up just throwing money down the toilet. Which is basically kind of the origin story of George Lucas on Star Wars, if you're familiar with that. Like he just he couldn't put that he couldn't bring that home himself. Yeah. That that movie was saved by producers and editors. Well, that's why I'm so surprised that the Marvel movies do so well because you're bringing in people who are not exactly the most experienced and on uh, and they're handling it just fine. Well, that a lot of this stuff is kind of a you know, it's a machine that's going to be moving along. I mean, the director's there on a big budget movie to make the the final decision decisions like creatively, but ultimately you've got an army of producers and executives that you've got to answer to. Like, have you heard how like just depressed and tired Joss Whedon sounds? Yeah. About this age of Ultron. And that's, we'll talk about it a little later coming up, but I don't think he was happy with the situation and it kind of shows on screen. I think so too. I definitely think so. And I, I think, and we'll, again, we'll talk about this more, but I think that you can see in age of Ultron, the battle that Whedon had with yeah. him and Marvel between, um, Maybe a uh, a um, a required amount of action scenes versus what he actually wanted to do with the movie. Well, I, I, and I think like the future, building toward the future as opposed to dealing with the right now. Right, right. It's probably the biggest part of it. Um, but that's a symptom of the franchise-based uh, movie landscape that we live in now. It's just the nothing's ever it, it, something's always building towards the next. Step. <laughs> But uh, anyway, it's a pretty shitty uh, I mean, story, I guess, yeah. if you're a Josh Trank fan. And I mean, the, a lot of people like Chronicle, and I thought Chronicle was, was pretty decent. Yeah, it okay. I mean, it was okay. And I, I really like that Michael B. Jordan is getting more exposure, because I really think Michael B. Jordan is a great actor. I don't know if you ever watched Friday Night I mean, Night the Lights. cast of, yeah, the cast of Fantastic Four is great. I mean, it's... Fantastic Four is one of those things, it, that is begging to be part of this Marvel Universe, because it's so corny. Yeah. Like, do you remember the the other movies directed by Tim Story of Barbershop? By the way? I did not. See, I didn't see those movies, but I've heard horror stories. They're not bad. The first, yeah. uh, Fantastic Mr. I mean, they're stupid. Fantastic Mr. Four. <laughs> <laughs> they're stupid, but they're they've got a, a level of corn to a porn version. Uh, and I mean, that was where Chris Evans got his big break. And I, I right. really like Chris Evans in those movies. I think that's the only thing anybody really likes. Uh, Silver Surfer was terrible. The character or the movie? The movie. Yeah, no, it was pretty stupid. But uh, I, the only thing I liked was the the of the about that first series was the casting of uh, Michael Chiklis as. Uh, that, oh, he was bad. That rock dude. What's the his thing? name? The thing. Yeah. You didn't like Chris Evans? I don't even remember. <laughs> Ten years ago, and was I probably it, saw it once. The thing was that um, wasn't there a a, a penis joke in Mallrats with yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, about the things. Wiener. Yeah, there's the whole run about he's asking about how superhero dogs. Superhero dogs. <laughs> yeah. The, I think the worst part about the thing in those movies was Michael Chiklis apparently must have had it in his contract that he had to appear without the makeup at least once 
uh, you know, after having transformed. Because mm-hmm. in the second movie, he loses his powers and he turns into himself again. And you're like, I don't want to see fucking Michael Chiklis. <laughs> but he's a commish. <laughs> the, the, dude, he's not the com- That was like a thousand years ago. He was Vic Mackey, as everybody remembers him now from The Shield. Anyway. I remember, from, I remember him from The Commission more than The Shield. Okay. So, yeah. Sorry, Josh Trank. Josh Skank. Yeah. More like Josh Stank. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, let's move on to the next item. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. gave an interview this week after his uh, – that notorious one, was it last week where – Yeah. He got up and walked out. That was, that was bullshit – tactics by that british guy i don't care what kind of uh investigative journalist you are you know the rules about at junkets like, you know how to behave <laughs> yeah i know shit. uh <laughs> yeah know. that's the thing i mean if he had not done it before but if you're a junket reporter like he is did you hear their excuse like oh we're the bbc we're this news program we don't do celebrity entertainment stories like then what the fuck is your what's the point then what are you doing there it's a completely wrong fo- forum yeah anyway uh, Robert Downey Jr. gave an interview this week uh, on his. Someone, he was asked what if he would ever do an independent film after one of these big budget films. Right. You have a clip, right? We have the audio. We have the audio. Let's, Let's go. Play it. Do it. Do you ever have a craving after you finish wrapping one of these just to make like a like five hundred thousand dollar budget indie movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because they're exhausting and sometimes they suck, and then you just go, "What was I thinking?" But I'm interested in doing all different kinds of movies. Sometimes the little movies are the ones that wind up taking the most out of you. Because mm. they're like, hey, man, we're just running a couple of days behind. Do you think you can stay through your birthday and then come back on the 4th of July? And by the way, uh, could you, like the crew, could you pay for the crap service for a day? And, oh, by the way, man, when we go to Sundance, it's like, can we just sit you in a chair and you can sell this for six days in a row so that we'll make 180 bucks when it opens in one theater? God, this is so powerful what we're doing. What do you think of the movie? You saw it last night. I think it's mediocre. Isn't it the greatest? (laughs) Man, this everyone's an artist here. Actually, most of you are kind of inexperienced and lame. (laughs) There's your answer, Jessica. (laughs) Well, okay then. (laughs) What kind of mood are you in today? Uh, Indie mood. Okay. Do you think his tongue was in in his cheek in this at all? No. No. You don't think so? No. No, I mean, it's kind of weird that he's bringing that up because he's been in some bad mainstream movies. Yeah. So, well, I mean, anything could happen when it comes. Kind of, it's kind of hard to – It's kind of, it seems like a cop-out answer. Well, the notion I've heard is that the performance or lack thereof of the movie The Judge that he was in last year was what prompted him to re-sign, to re-up with Marvel. Yeah. Uh, that that was – you know, that he realized that, hey, this is where his fan base is now – and he can make all of the money with Marvel, and uh, these you know these these independent movies like this you know just because he he redeemed you know he res- resurrected his career with the Iron Man stuff doesn't translate into drama anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess we should, or I will preface this by saying if if this is how he feels, whatever. I mean, I if he wants to make lots of money and and he doesn't want to do indies, that's his own business. He doesn't have to. Nobody has to do indies. Uh, I, you know, it's just, a, it's for more than anything, it's kind of a douchey thing to say. Um, it's, it's really generalized, um, generalized statements about indie filmmaking that are greatly exaggerated. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's just kind of, 
you know, it's, he mentions a lot of things where it's just contradictory. I mean, uh, sit there for six days and sell a movie that makes $180. Well, he sits, he goes on press tours for Avengers where he's being flown around the world and he has to sell the movie for weeks at a time. So he's already doing that for there. And I guess he's okay because he gets a big return on it. Uh, you know, well, and who, who's, I mean, do you think junkets for movies like the Avengers even fucking matter? No, of course not. They're going to make a billion dollars anyway. They, they right. don't have to go out and sell the movie. That said, I'd still love to go if anybody yeah. wants to invite me. And you know, there's a you know, there's a good article on IndieWire about what he got wrong that I I may shamelessly steal points from because it's a good article. But you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know, for me, the thing that stands out is that nobody is forcing him to make these films. And so if he's saying most of the time they're mediocre or they're working with inexperienced people, like. You know, before you say yes to a movie, you read a script. You meet with the director. Uh, you're not, I mean, if he's getting into, I mean, you know what you're getting into. Yeah, if he's making those bad decisions, then it's his fault. But, I mean, if you're looking at his filmography, I mean, he doesn't make bad decisions when, it, I mean, in the past uh, few years with indie films. I mean, we saw him in Chef. Chef was an indie, he wasn't was, it? Yeah, he was in Chef. He was in Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Kiss, Bang. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. He was in... I mean, when John Favreau, uh, he's great friends with John Favreau, who... You know, made his made his mark in indie filmmaking. Um, you know, it's it it does strike me as hypocritical because typically when stars of of Downey's caliber are in indie films, the reason is because they want some cred, right? Like they want either either they've fallen on hard times, which I think he made some a, a good. Did you ever see? Uh, was it two girls and a guy or two girls one guy? One cup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that one too. I think he was in the background. Yeah, uh, back, but it was like in 2000 or something. Back when he was at the height of his downtime. I don't remember that. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just kind of a, a long, talky thing, um, and I enjoyed it when it, back then. It was very late 90s, but um, you know, the big stars do indie movies because they want to look like they're in it for the craft. Well, I also think that uh, I think that's true, absolutely, but I also think they do it as challenges. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a challenge t- or if or if they really believe in the story or the script, they will go work. You'll see a you'll see an actor go work for next to nothing to go do this small movie. It's something that a lot of actors enjoy doing. And if there's one that doesn't like it again, that's their own business, but it it, it was a weirdly passive aggressive comment from him. Um like like he's above it, and yeah. it just sounds it just sounded really uh, really dickish. I mean, I think he's to the point where he's at the point of no return when it comes to how big he is in in terms of movie star status. And if he feels like it's yeah, it's too good for him or it's beneath him, then and he doesn't want to turn back, then that's his choice. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I think there's very few people that are in that same situation in in, in Hollywood. I don't see like. Tom Cruise doing an indie film anytime soon, or but that—that's the thing, though. Like, if he were to, if if Robert Downey Jr. were ever, or any of these big stars were to ever do an indie film, like they all know what the agreement is. You know, the implied that you're going to this indie film and it's going to be low budget. It's going to be people starting out or people, uh, you know, that that don't necessarily know what they're doing, and they're bringing in the star power because it's the star power. Well, so you're going to be. Yeah, in that's what Chef face did. That's what Chef did with him. I mean, if anything felt fake in that movie, it was him and Scarlett Johansson. Why? It's not because they were terrible in it. It's because they're just too big for their that kind of role. Well, and, and I think that I think that you know, not being an actor, I have no idea what it's like. But um, 
But, you know, I think there's two ways you can look at it. It's uh, you work yourself up to be a big actor so that you either, I guess in Downey's case, don't have to do indies anymore. Or you can work yourself up to a big actor so that you get to go do small indies more. Or anything you want. I mean, like, you can look at someone like, um, like, even like Michael Fassbender, who um, can star in an X-Men movie. And he can be the lead in that. And then he can go off and do something like Frank, where he's where he's wearing a freaking paper mache head the whole movie. Yeah. And he's doing a small, tiny budget indie because he wants to. Or Shame, which is, or you know. Or Shame, yeah. A great, I mean, it's showing off his acting chops that he couldn't do in a Marvel movie. And his wang. And his <laughs> wang. I mean, that's only bonus, but, or boner. No. <laughs> it was flaccid. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> It'd have been uh, another rating. But that's, I mean, if if anything, I mean, look. It's you know I respect the hell out of actors who can do both and who do do both because, um, you know, for for you know studio films are fine, but um, there's a reason why more independent uh, films are seen winning Oscars at the end of the year or being nominated for Oscars at the end of the year. It's why smaller movies like Birdman and Boyhood are your favorites versus you know The Judge, for example, a a, a you know a studio produced movie that you know robert downey jr did last year so um you know if he wants to make money and rake it in what that's whatever do whatever but don't like don't look down on other people because of it like that's just a really douchey thing to do to look down on others and and insult a whole brand of filmmaker and 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 i think probably the most important thing at this point is everybody's on your side now you know yeah you're you you fifteen years ago, you were at rock bottom as Robert Downey Jr. You know, you were a punchline, and this redemption has come back, and you're the biggest. You know, probably Johnny Depp and Robert Downey Jr. Probably the two biggest movie stars in the world who can only do their own franchises successfully. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're at the top of your game. You're you're headlining this this insanely popular, hugely successful series, and we just saw you last week get blindsided in an interview and you handle it very well, very well. And you called the guy a schmuck, you know, which is like, I would have been like, Hey, fuck you. You, know? <laughs> but you. you kept it cool and you, and clean and you called him a schmuck and it's like, Oh, you called him a schmuck. Like, yeah. wow. And then you come out and, and say something really dickish, you know, whether or not you mean it, whether or not, uh, cause I, you know, who knows at the end of the day, if this, I don't know the context of the rest of this interview, what was yeah. it from? It was from uh, Sirius XM on an Entertainment Weekly show. Okay, but it's like you know, oh, you have to stay for your birthday. Ooh, yeah, you know, that's like, you have to work on your birthday. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. God forbid. Yeah, uh, so it just it comes across super dickish at a time when it entitled, really entitled. Yeah, mm-hmm. and everybody's on your side. Yeah, you know? don't rock the boat, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, like oh, you have to pay for craft services for a bunch of fucking. You know, people that make fifty grand a year. Well, he's also uh, an actor of that caliber. Is probably not going to go work for someone who's never made a film before on a hundred thousand dollar budget. Like they're going to work for well known, respected indie filmmakers, uh, or or at least you know someone who has the potential to do that, or someone who's been working in the business and getting their first break. Uh, And you know, to to make it sound like most of you are inexperienced and lame, like saying all indie filmmakers are like that, or. Everyone who premieres at Sunday. Well, yeah, like you said, like he's buddy with John Favreau, and that's how John Favreau started. Yeah, mm-hmm. not as a director, but as a writer. Yeah, it's but... just a shitty thing to do. I, I, he, I didn't realize that he did a movie called Love and Distrust, 
which you haven't heard, which so it's probably an indie film, but Lorraine Bracco directed it. So I'm thinking like he was friends with her. Well, and, and, you know, and to say something like that, like Lorraine Bracco was an independent filmmaker. Well, in this article that I was reading also brought up Guy Ritchie, who he's in the Sherlock Holmes movie with. And Guy Ritchie did a yeah. bunch of small movies uh, before he hit it on the mainstream. So, yeah. you know, what, whatever. I mean, it's 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 just a it's kind of a, you know, I think we've gone through it several times, but it's just not a cool thing to say. I don't think. Not cool, bro. Not cool. Yeah, what the hell, bro? Come on, bro. Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, Avengers Age of Ultron. This could have been avoided if you hadn't played with no, something you don't I'm understand. Sorry. I'm sorry. It is funny. It's a hoot that you don't get why we need this. Tony, maybe this might not be the time. Really? To... That's it. You just roll over, show your belly every time somebody snarls. Only when I've created a murder bot. We didn't. We weren't even close. Were we close to an interface? Well, you did something right. And you did it right here. The Avengers were supposed to be different than she. Anybody remember when I carried a nuke through a wormhole? No, it's never come up. Save no, New York? Never heard that. Recall that? A hostile alien army came charging through a hole in space. We're standing 300 feet below it. We're the Avengers. We can bust arms dealers all the live long day, but that up there, that's... That's the end game. How are you guys planning on beating that? Together. When Tony Stark tries to jumpstart a dormant peacekeeping program, things go awry, and it is up to the Avengers to stop the villainous Ultron from enacting his terrible plans. Ooh. Biggest movie of the year, right? Yeah. Before Star Wars? Yeah. The second biggest opening of all time behind the first Avengers movie. Yeah, they're just printing money at this I wonder point. if uh, that's considered a disappointment. Oh, I... Well, that is behind it? Well, it's it, it opened uh, $20 million less than the first film. I heard that some people were saying that the Pacquiao Mayweather fight might have taken away several million dollars away from potential box office. I wonder if that's true. Oh, though. yeah, it had to. But that's so. But it was. But, but that's so late on the East Coast, and even here in Central. Uh yeah, but you know, but money wise, it started, it started at like eight o'clock. The yeah, broadcast. But, but so. money wise, still, like, oh, we're going to spend a hundred dollars this weekend. Let's not go to the movies on Friday or Saturday. Yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Anyway, we all saw this. Who mm-hmm. wants to start? Uh. I, I guess I go can for start. it, Cody. Okay, uh, you're all over this. Am I? You're the first Avenger. <laughs> yeah, Cap- Captain America. <laughs> Captain America before he gets uh, Americanized. What? <laughs> are you calling me Mexican or something? What are you talking about? <laughs> Captain America when he's like that little guy at the beginning of the movie. I don't know. I don't oh, know that. Oh, <laughs> okay. I see where you're going. I don't with know it. that I'd call that Americanized. You're, he's I'm pre just, uh, super soldier he's serum. He's pre super buffed. Gotcha. It took me a while, but. I'm on the same page with you now. There you go. Thanks. Uh, so prior to the first Avengers movie, um, I was I was really worried about it, and I thought it would be just a giant disaster. Like too many characters, totally overstuffed, um, uh, and you know just way too much stimulation, too much going on. And it wasn't. The first Avengers movie was kind of like a minor miracle in that uh, it was incredibly well balanced. It was funny. Uh, the the action was was really fun and it was uh, and it was among the best comic book movies I think there's ever been. Um, for Age of Ultron, I think that it is much closer to the uh, the 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 complete. You know, I, I I don't know how I don't know what word I would use, but the complete. Um, it's because it's not a disaster, but 
uh, it's it, just it, it's fear, overstuffed. Your fears about it being overstuffed are more realized with this film, definitely than than, uh, than before. And definitely, I, it, it kind of uh, the comparison I've seen and the comparison I've made. I don't think it's. I think it's a better movie than this one, but it's very similar to Iron Man Two, yeah. where you had this embarrassment of riches, and then you just went and said, "Let's put as much as we can in this movie," while setting the table for the next movie. Yeah, and I think that Joss Whedon does a, a much, a much worse job this time around at balancing everything because the Avengers felt really balanced, um, and this one doesn't. Um, and I don't know if necessarily that it's the inclusion of a lot more characters because now we see Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Um, oh, they get a lot of time though. They, they, too, they do get so, a lot yeah. of time, but um, nothing ever has time to develop in this movie. It's always moving on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And um, and you know, I, I it, there's so, it's it's difficult to talk about because there's so much going on. You don't know where to start. Um, one thing you can do is start with Ultron, the new villain. Um, I, I really like what James Spader did as far as his voice acting goes, though I'm, I wasn't that enthused about the uh, character design of Ultron. These, he was a very typical Joss Whedon sarcastic. That was one that I'm one of, glad you brought that up because that's yeah. one of the things with this movie being so overstuffed. Like that was the the thing that rang really true about the first. Avengers movie, whether it was a very much a Joss Whedon movie. Yeah. Like the banter mm-hmm. was great. And this one doesn't really get a chance for that. No. So it seems like the only place he could put his trademark dialogue was in Ultron, and it just undercuts the menace com- almost by half, at least to I, me. I totally agree, because I think that it, it undercuts the menace, not only that, but... Uh, the, the the con like Ultron's always looking for a joke like he's always yeah. like looking for a laugh like being really sarcastic or <laughs> he's really philosophical in a way that like you're like I'm watching I know this is an artificial intelligence but this I, I don't know well, it's the, just the premise is supposed to be that he's modeling himself after Tony after Stark. Tony Stark right but it just it just knowing Joss Whedon's work it just feels like he's another cast member of Firefly yeah or something is how I that's what I wrote in my review it just it feels forced. I agree. See, I didn't watch Firefly, so I'm guessing all of that stuff is sarcastic, sardonic characterizations. Yeah, and, and it, it works in a certain element. Like, it works in a, in a team sort of bantery way. When, yeah, it worked in the Avengers, yeah. Well, uh, in that clip that we heard, it was a little, you know, yeah, I that, mean, it, it was works, a little funny. It, it works that way, too. And I think that's how that's how Whedon works best. So Ultron, they kind of give him uh, a little tiny ensemble with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Who are just kind of there? Yeah, I didn't care for the inclusion of them this time around. I don't think they did much, uh, especially uh, Quicksilver was a pale comparison to the Quicksilver we saw in X Men: Days of Future <sighs> Past. I hate that so much. What? That they're different. Well, I mean, they have to be. I, I, I look at the uh, what I've heard is that X Men added the character in when they knew that. Marvel was going to use it because well, they did a, a much better job. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, definitely, it's definitely a more memorable character. And I don't like Sc- Scarlet Witch's like her her hand movements aren't very menacing. Well, she's doing Taekwondo or some kind of like but, yoga. I, I, I want to bring this up too because I think that you know it's a two and a half hour runtime and it still feels completely overstuffed. But I think they spend a lot of time on the visions that they get from Scarlet Witch, which I felt had no payoff at all. Well, I. I don't. F- I don't feel like the entire. I know why Vision and Scar. I mean, I know why uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are there. Yeah. Because they wanted to set them up for the future. Yeah. But 
as far as the plot of the movie goes, they don't serve any purpose. No. Because the the only real inciting event for for that they're that they're part of the plot is giving Tony Stark a vision of everybody dying. Yeah. Which was the, which that was a cool that was a cool scene. But he had the whole he we spent Iron Man three talking about that. Yeah. And that's a, one of the biggest problems for me with this movie was the kind of reset of the character of Tony Stark after Iron Man 3 and to a lesser extent Captain America after The Winter Soldier and Hulk after The Last Avengers. Yeah. Like they didn't seem to be any different than they were in The Avengers. Yeah. And that was a big problem for me because fucking Captain America The Winter Soldier was the first Marvel movie probably ever that had the balls to do something that affected the rest of the world. Yeah. Or the rest of this universe without just resetting back to one. Yeah, and we we do a lot of talking about this, um, I think, when we talk about mar- Marvel movies in general, but, um, you know, there's just no stakes ever. And I think that's a major problem with... I think that's the, that's kind of the, the main flaw of these movies. They can be great and entertaining and awesome and fun or whatever, but there's never any true stakes. Yeah, you never feel anybody's in danger at all. Well, and especially now, and I don't remember if we talked about this, but... With with the entire slate of movies being laid out, yeah. Until what is it, twenty twenty? You know, this movie feels inconsequential because you're like, oh well, shit, we got to set up for Mar- uh, the Avengers: Infinity War right. Part One in three years, and then Part Two in four years. So this movie feels l- even less consequential than than it would be if you, because you know, back in the back before these films were mega successful. You knew there was going to be a sequel, you yeah. know, just because you know that this is going to be successful enough. Yeah. But when we know the basic outline of what that sequel is going to be, right, exactly. Then it takes, it takes the stakes out almost not completely, but enough to where you're like, well, you know, it's all going to be okay by the end of this. Cause they got to be in, you know, I know Tony Stark's going to be okay because He's in we've already talked Civil about him War. being fucking Captain America Civil War. And you know, I think another thing too is that something I said earlier, but I think is, is rings really true is that it's a lot of empty action um, and none of it has time to sit. And like, I, I'll use the example of like the Hulkbuster scene um, where the Hulk is on the loose and they have to c- contain him. There's no build up to that scene. It's just, oh look, it's Tony Stark and the Hulkbuster. There's no mention to it. There's no reference, and there's nothing that really happens afterwards. It just, it just things just kind of happen on screen, and you watch them unfold, and then that's it. And well, Kiko, you mentioned that was your favorite scene. I just like him going crazy on the city, and they couldn't stop. I like the whole idea of just somebody not being able to stop. But it's, somebody like it's so Hulk. inconsequential to the plot. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, if we're looking at a film like this as in face value, I mean, what else are we going to get? So, I mean, I, yeah, there's no characterization or what's whatever. So I'm just taking the action sequences yeah. and saying that was my favorite action sequence. It's a cool when scene. He, when he goes psycho. It's a cool scene. But then by the end of the film, you're like, that did nothing for this movie, except lead up to whatever's next for the whole right. right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that also, um, the the bits of characterization that you you did get were not uh, anything to write home about. Well, I think they picked the wrong character to do it with. I don't know why they picked Jeremy Renner to f- carry it's, most of the heft of the emotional acts, uh, uh, emotional you know um, yeah. sequences of this movie. It's, I mean, Jeremy, it's because he was a he was a sidelined bitch in the first. <laughs> so yeah, people considered him the weakest. I think that's a consensus that he was the weakest part of the first one. Um, so what do you do? You give him the most stuff to talk about. Uh, from a you know an in, internal perspective, bringing his family and 
Uh, none of that. None of that worked for me it, at it all. Would, it would have been a nice angle, uh, maybe if 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 they approached it with uh, the idea that he's the one, like the one kind of one of the two normal humans, right. on this team. Like everybody else is a fucking super powered or like armored up, right. hero, and he's just. And I guess they never really explain why he's just so amazingly accurate. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was just really good in high school, and yeah. I think <laughs> he watched the uh, Hunger Games a lot. Yeah, uh, so like, I think that there's that weird, there's a weird scene towards the middle uh, that's that that feels like a different movie. It's it's really odd, and it's very Hawkeye centric that happens. And uh, I've talked to people who thought it was great because it it shows that you know he's a normal guy and. And he and he wants to be so much a part of the team and whatever. And I didn't I didn't really get that, but you know it's it's that thing. It's it's the it's the love story between um, you know the uh, Bruce Banner and Black Widow Natasha that doesn't really do anything. Yeah. I don't think other than set up future Hulk stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, look the action. Don't get me wrong. There are some really cool action sequences in here, and there's definitely like those goosebump moments of. Of all the Avengers interacting at once or trading off and doing stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of interaction in this one. I thought there, more than any. I mean, it, it seemed like you know the something ricochets off of you know the, or like the hammer ricochets off of the. Oh, when when like Thor smacks the shield. Right, and, there was a lot of that kind yeah. of stuff. No, I, I love that stuff, and I think that's really what it excels at. But just there's so much going on, and it two and look, two and a half hours is probably the maximum length for a movie like this. Would, what do you think? What do you think about runtime? Do you think this is too long? I don't care about really? runtime. I mean, if th- it's two and a half hours long, that's what it is. Whatever. But I mean, if if you had if this like hit three hours, because there's probably was plenty of stuff that was cut out. Because the, the, there's a Thor storyline that that just kind of nothing happens yeah, with it, and yeah. it just it just happens and all off screen. So yeah. obviously that was cut for time or flow or whatever. Yeah. So there's probably a two and a half, I mean, a two hour and 45 minute, three hour cut of this. Yeah. The first cut was over three hours from what I've heard. I don't understand, man. That's, I don't, I just don't, how long does something like this need to be? Well, know? and there's, again, like, I feel like they spent so much time on, like I said, the, the visions from, uh, from Scarlet Witch or the inner interlude that happens with Hawkeye or, uh, or even something like Thor going off and doing his own thing. He's just like, "Hey, I'll be right back," and then goes away. <laughs> he, goes away he goes back. He goes and he talks to Stellan Skarsgård's character. Yeah, and then he comes back, and the, you don't know what the fuck happened. Well, you see him like in a pool, and you're like, "What the hell?" Like, what? I don't. Get yeah, oh this. yeah. That's why you're gonna have to remember what happens in this one for the next one three years later. That's why when this, these things happen, I turn to you like, "Who's that?" Every time. Every I don't time. Rem- I don't remember. Well, and, the, and I think that the, 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 the credits stinger, not giving away what it is, but it's almost insulting in its way of like setting something up down the line. It's like, well, what did we just, why, like, why didn't we just get to this already? That's what I'm, that was my biggest thing with the credits stinger. I was like, why was this not the story that was told? Right. Um, there, there's a, there's a chart that, that, uh, that's making the rounds around the internet that, that lays out the actual timeline mm-hmm. of the Marvel universe. And I think it's something like Thor, uh, Captain America, no Thor, Iron Man two and something else take place like in the same week. <laughs> so, so I guess we're seeing a compressed timeline. Yeah. You know, that like, so the stuff that happened in Captain America, the winter soldier was just, I don't know. Three weeks ago, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, See, I can't. There's, but, dude, I, but, there's no way I, my brain works like that at all. But that I have the, no idea what y'all are talking about. But see, that's the thing is about these Marvel movies is they've made a big deal about 
making every one of them connect to the other ones. And I don't feel there's another. Fly Maybe that's here. my problem because I'm just taking them as you know one and done's for me. I See, don't... but that's a, that's but there's so much setup, and then this movie doesn't really play like a sequel to Iron Man three and Captain America: The Winter Soldier and whatever the Thor one was called, The Dark World. It plays like a sequel to The Avengers, which bugs me because there's so much character development that happened. Well, especially in The Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, a lot happened that could have had – an. you were like, oh, man, this is going to have an effect on things going forward. And then you see it and it didn't. And, and another thing is we know the next movie is – well, after Ant-Man, the next movie with these characters is Captain America Civil War. Right. And we've been told this because that's what we – that's what happens now. Yeah, you know, we get to, it's coming out this exact date, and yeah. this is the plot. So we know that Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, Captain America, are going to be at odds with one another. Right. And this movie almost sets it up, and then and doesn't. then pulls the rug out from underneath it. Right. And then by the end of the film, everything's reset. Well, and, and not only that, but I think they set up uh, the Hulk perfectly to move forward. And there's no plans for a standalone Hulk movie, so it's like. I don't know. And, I don't, yeah, I, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. But. And again, you know, the climax of the film, I think it's just, you know, it's it's back to that thing where it's just a group of superheroes against a vague threat. And that's just that's just all it is. And so, you know, whereas there was a lot of uh there was lo- there was a lot of intrigue and excitement about uh the 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 and again, if you look at the Avengers, it's still the same thing. It's an end of the world vague threat and the Avengers have to come in, but it's their first time interacting with each other and and it's like this really kick-ass action sequence, and there, and you know, there's really funny moments in it, you know, because that's when we see the Hulk go crazy for the first time. Yeah. Um, and like the the climax in this movie really just feels like you're just look. Uh, one thing that I saw that I totally agree with is that the Avengers was might as well have been Transformers at that point because it's just a lot of action that's happening where you can't make ends of it, and and it was it was more it was more Transformers than it was. You know, first Avengers movie, mm-hmm. for example. Did you notice the the major major effort they made throughout the whole film to show how much they cared about civilians? Yeah, uh, it was almost kind of distracting at a point. Yeah, where it's like we've got to rescue these civilians. Like, okay, and then there's like five minutes of of people like loading being, people onto b- these yeah. airships or like or being something. saved from the car or whatever. Yeah, um, is that a thing? I think it's. Wait, I think didn't it's, somebody a say people, a lot of people think it's a response to Man of Steel? Yeah, to Man of Steel, just kind of destroying a city. Oh, so did I bring it up to somebody during the movie? I was like, man, they're really making a big mess in this city. And you said it was part of a the storyline in Daredevil. Oh yeah, Daredevil uh, deals a lot with. Uh, oh, like, they they acknowledge the fact that a bunch of people died in the, the first Avengers attack. The Battle one of the, of the ba- best lines. I haven't finished the series yet, but one of the best lines in the series is from uh, Bob Gunton. Who plays Leland, the mm-hmm. accountant in Daredevil? And he talks about how he's like, "What are we worried about? Every time one of these guys punches somebody through a building, our profit margins go up three percent." Yeah. So it's it's a plot line of Daredevil that that there's been these government contracts awarded to like crooked, uh, oh okay, crooked, you know, contractors and mob bosses to have to and rebuild stuff. shit. Be- yeah, that because, they destroy. Yeah. Yeah, and this one they destroyed, which was genius on the part of Daredevil, by the way, to have that be their connective tissue with the yeah, Marvel I like Cinematic that. Universe. That's a good idea. You need to check that out. It's a really, it's a really yeah. well made show. I'm just, it, I'm just glad this one didn't use the word tesseract. The oh, well, tesseract. Th- but there's another. <laughs> yeah, there's always uh, a little 
doohickey, MacGuffin, the chase. <laughs> this time it's Loki's staff, <laughs> which you got to remember. Like, and that's the thing. Like, you're expected to remember all these like little details about, like the Infinity Gems, yeah, stones, and then. But then it doesn't make the point to, to you know, we just saw fucking Captain America last year. Right. So why don't you re- remind us exactly of what happened then, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, and I think that also there's going to be there, – there's not going to be a lot left to the imagination just because we know how far down – like we know like five years in advance what the Marvel plans are. So Yeah. Oh, and this one spends some a little bit of, of time setting up Black Panther – that's the whole, in case you don't know, yeah. that's the Andy Serkis scenes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, where you're like, what the fuck? Why is Andy Serkis playing this tiny role? Yeah. For, he's in it for like two minutes. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, because it's going to be something bigger later. Yeah. Who's the guy with the wings? Falcon. Falcon. He was in Captain America Winter Yeah, Soldier. yeah. So he just comes out in at the end because what? They're just setting him up to? Yeah, probably. And well, remember he shows up at the party at the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. With John Cheadle. Yeah. As uh, War Machine. Yeah, there's a lot of characters in this one. I know, and then, look. I ultimately, I I liked the movie. Like, I didn't find it. Uh, you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. Uh, it just it's a disappointment compared to the highs. That yeah. The, especially after last year, and uh, yeah, you know, three great superhero movies. Well, last. I mean, you got the, specifically the Marvel movies. I mean, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. I know I talk about it a shitload, but that's probably the best Marvel movie that they've turned out as a movie. You know, I think Avengers is better, but but as as I mean, it's it's the one thing that they've done that felt like it could have doubled as something else other than just a comic yeah. movie. And then Guardians of the Galaxy, while it still was ultimately formulaic, it's great. It was just fun. Yeah, uh, you know, it was so different and so imaginative, and and it was mm-hmm. one of those things that it was a huge gamble. Yeah, and it, and it fucking paid off amazingly. Third yeah. highest grossing movie of the year last year. So to come back down to kind of this, like, yeah, we're just going to set up something else um, yeah. formula is, is a real disappointment because I thought we were past this. I thought we were – I thought that the Avengers were the movies that everything was leading up to. Yeah. But now it seems like the even the Avengers There's movies stone. are leading to more Avengers movies. Yeah. It's a disappointment for sure. I, I think that, uh, you know, they call it like phase two. Right. right. This is the this, this is, is the end of phase two. Well, I thought Ant Man is the end of phase two. Well, yeah. If you want to, I mean, the, the, apparently Ant Man is not connected to any of this stuff going on okay. at all. But yeah, technically it is. But the whatever, end of phase two. whatever it is, you should feel like there's some wrap up. But we've gotten this 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 cosmic villain that's made like three appearances now that were that's building towards the Infinity War movie. Mm-hmm. You're like, fuck. Why? Like, we saw this guy like five years ago for the first time. Yeah. Or three years ago, at the end of the first Avengers. Yeah. So it's like, shit, we're, it's got to wait five years before this storyline goes yeah. anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about jo- Joss Whedon. Um, do you think he's going to be burnt out because of this? I mean, I kind of feel bad for him. Oh, he's he, done with the Marvel Universe yeah, now. He's, not, he's done. Oh, that's it? Yeah. He's going to go back and He make, may have like a – he'll probably get like the John Favreau thing where he's an executive, executive producer. producer. Man, John Favreau just must be raking in the dough. Oh my god, yeah. For doing nothing. Yeah, for doing nothing other than kind of doing a good Iron Man movie. Yeah. Yeah. Doing, doing one good Iron Man movie. Yeah. But I mean but yeah, I mean we didn't I think that, you know, and we sort of alluded to this earlier, but I think you can see the tug of war that Whedon probably had with Marvel on this one. Um because it it, it 
you know, like you said, everything is filtered through Ultron, um, and it just uh, it just feels really generic at times. Yeah, it feels it just doesn't like it. It does not feel it doesn't have that energy, that fun energy where you were watching something completely different that you had during the Avengers. Well, let's not forget that when the first Avengers was released. They weren't sure this was going to work. Yeah. You know, this was not a foregone conclusion. I mean, the movies had been hits up until then, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't printing money like this one was. Yeah. So at the time, Whedon was a great choice because here's this guy who had extreme nerd cred. Yeah. Like from Buffy and from Angel and from Firefly. And you bring this guy on and he knows how to handle uh, ensembles and knows how to write for them. And it was a perfect match for the 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 scale that they did, and then you know the the artist behind it because he wrote and directed that movie and this movie. But after that became this machine that was just taking over the film world and affecting everything that comes. You know, every blockbuster series now is affected by Avengers in one way or another. And uh, yeah, I do wonder how much fun he had on this one. Versus it doesn't the first seem one. like a lot. I don't. There's I a lot that. of stuff out there that makes it seem like he was just not pleased. Yeah, and uh, you know, good for him though for for finally breaking out of the kind of ghetto of unwatched TV. Well, well, I mean, shit. We talked. We talked earlier about the guys who can make these giant movies and go on and do whatever they want. I think Whedon at this point. Can go now do whatever he wants do to some do. More Shakespeare. I'd, do more Shakespeare. I'd love to see him go back to TV and just not with the fucking Ag- Agents of Shield either, but just go back with some original idea and just fucking kick ass on a cable series or something. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I mean, like, but I mean, you can even see the fact that he filmed a Shakespeare movie in black and white in his house during a filming break of the first Avengers movie tells you that. You know he he needs something else. Yeah. You know he's not going to be able to you know spend a decade uh, doing these comic book films because he's got more he wants to do. So, well, yeah, it's it's good that it gives him. You know, it's fine. It was finally the culmination of a career that was mm-hmm. underappreciated by the mainstream. Yeah. And then you go on and get your earthly reward for <laughs> making a billion dollars at the box. Which office. is another reason Donnie Junior's comments are bullcrap because this is exactly what josh whedon's gonna do i mean i know it's from a director's perspective but at the same time it's going from something huge to something like much ado about nothing which which i don't think anybody saw (laughs) i love that by the way i love that movie what do you you ever were you a fan of firefly at all i you know what i own it on blu-ray i've never seen it really yeah it's good um i wish people would let it go yeah hey all you firefly fans brown coats as you're called let it go. It's over. <laughs> it's not coming back. Please let it go. It's a good show. I like it. It had its it had a shot and then it had a movie shot and nobody saw that one. Let it go. Let it yeah. go. But anyway, it's a good show. I would I would give it a watch. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, grades. Uh I'm going with a B minus on this. I think I th- it's fun, it's enjoyable. There's some great one-liners in here, but ultimately it Barely works. I mean, it, this thing is held together with like duct tape and uh, a lot of goodwill holding this together. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, it gets by on the strength of the the fun of the action sequences and uh, some of the sharper writing. That I mean, look, it's Joss Whedon. He's going to get some good one liners in there, and he does. Um, but it, man, this thing just barely 
barely works. Do you think that this um, bodes well for something like uh, Super Batman v Superman, where like it can just be a big mess and still make a billion dollars? Because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I uh, mean, all these people grousing about like, oh, how are they going to pull it off? This thing's going to be a creative mess. Like, look at Avengers; it's not really that well put together. The second film, and it's still super crowd pleasing. Yeah, I mean, at in, least for now. In the end, uh, in the end, the quality of these movies matters to us way more than it does to the general public, I think. Kiko, grade? I give the first one a, a solid B, so I'm, I'm going to go a step down and give this a B- minus as well. Um, I just didn't think it was as fun as the first one, and if we're comparing, I mean, apparently we're supposed to see these as this long series of whatever sort. It's fair to compare them, I think. So, I mean, they, they invite it. You know. I, I, they, it definitely wasn't as good as any of the three superhero movies I, that I really liked last year. And uh, so that's where I am. I, I love the Hulk, though. Yeah. I love the Incredible Hulk. I like Sad Hulk a lot. I think that they regressed his character in this one, too. Yeah. And it really kind of bothered me. So anyway, B minus you. B minus for me, too. Um, I would put the the original Avengers at probably an A minus, just because I'm a little softer on this stuff than I'd you guys are. I'd be at a are. B plus on it. B plus, A minus is, I mean, that's really, because it was really, yeah, I would probably B plus, because I think the... I mean... Stuff like Guardians and, and Captain America was better to me. For me, the first Avengers is second to maybe only The Dark Knight as far as, for me personally, the yeah. best comic book movies ever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, B-, minus. Um, like you said, I, d- I don't dislike it, but man, there's if this was not uh, so popular and had been treated so well the last five years, this would be really hard to to wrap your head around. You know, there's a lot of in, built-in goodwill because, man, it's so much – it just reminded me so much of Iron Man 2 where – and that's probably the most disappointing of these Marvel movies so far is Iron Man 2 where it's just set up for more shit. And I'm sad that the – that uh, who's the guy? Roger Sterling. What's the actor's name from Mad Men? Oh, uh, John, John Slattery. I'm, he was so great in his little weird Walt Disney part in Iron Man 2. And it's the worst Iron <laughs> Man. It's the worst of the Marvel movies. Yeah. All right, so triple B minuses. What Tri- do we call that? Uh, we call it. Uh, uh, I don't know. Anyway, let's go ahead and move <laughs> on to the to the next movie, Clouds of Sils Maria. I don't think you understand how much of an honor this is for me. When I was fifteen, I saw. Um, oh my god, the movie you did with with the CIA and Harrison Ford. I'm so sorry, I'm blanking. Um, Beetle on its back. A beetle on its back with Harrison Ford. You blew my mind. You, you, you were the epitome of class. You were everything I ever wanted to be as an actress. And I mean, the way that you battled those politicians and then the military brass men, it was, it was captivating. It was my first Hollywood film. I was a little lost. Um, Sidney Pollack was really nice, but sometimes I didn't understand what I was saying, so I was too shy to ask. But fortunately, Harrison was there to help. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> A veteran actress comes face-to-face with an uncomfortable reflection of herself when she agrees to take part in a revival of the play that launched her career 20 years earlier. I didn't see this. The two of you did. Kiko, want to start? Yeah, I really like the fact that this is coming out on the same weekend as uh, The Avengers because it kind of plays along that whole idea of, like, we were talking about, like, Robert Downey Jr., uh, you know, where, where is he going to go after this? He's not going to go to uh, some kind of, like, low-budget type film. And then this one, the... Um, uh, Julia Binoche plays an actress who was in a superhero movie, um, 
and is kind of like tired of it. She doesn't want to um, act on green screens anymore, even though she, you know, is lauded for it. Um, but now she, you know, wants to get back to her roots, and and so she, uh, she uh, is going to do this play that she had uh, done a long time ago. But she's going to play the other character, the older character. Now she played the younger character in the in the film. It gets a little uh, convoluted in trying to explain that kind of stuff. But what what I really liked about it is that uh, these characters it, it felt very meta to me. The whole thing, the whole movie, and I I don't like meta movies. Uh, we're talking about Josh Whedon here. Um, before um, Joss, Joss, sorry, Joss Wheaton, 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 Joss Wheaton, <laughs> Josh Wheaton, Josh Wheaton. <laughs> There's some dude named Josh Wheaton who's just trying to break into films. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Anyway, so the, these meta uh, references and uh, really, really uh, worked well for me in this one. Uh, for example, like Kristen Stewart plays uh, this actress's uh, a personal assistant, really laid back, cool girl. Um, Playing off ca- uh, typecast, uh, this is not a, the type of a uh, role that uh, Kristen Stewart has ever done before. Um, it's really uh, just subtle. Um, re- she does a really great job, didn't she? Did she win at Cannes for this? She won. Uh, she won what, what? What's what's called the equivalent of the French Oscar? Oh, uh, I see. And she was the first first actress, American first actress American. To actress. Win it. I, I mean. I don't think she's going to get nominated for an Oscar for it or anything like no. that, but I think she just did a good job, a solid job, and, and I like what she brings to the table in this. Um, and then somebody who else who plays against type is Chloe Moretz, who I thought, if, if you really look at it, I think that those two roles could have been switched just because of what kind of people they are off camera, and I think that was one of the points that um, the director, Olivier Assayas, I think his name is, uh, was trying to um, trying to say, um, because Chloe Moretz is kind of this, like, clean slate clean cut type good girl in hollywood she doesn't really do anything wrong um kristen stewart is a little bit more um i don't know she has she she's on she's on page six a little bit more than chloe moretz so anyway this is a a really slow movie it's a really talky really character driven um it's not going to be for everyone of course this is just going to play in the uh in the art house um arenas but um i really enjoyed it i thought that uh Julia Binoche does a fantastic job with her role, um, and then so does Kristen Stewart and Chloe Moretz. Those that that trio, Chloe Moretz is in it, in it, is not in it as much as the other two, but uh, the way that uh, Binoche and Stewart um, interact with each other is really great. There's scenes where they're reading lines because she's practicing for a play. They're reading lines between each other, and they're getting angry because of play. They're, the characters are getting angry, but you can't really tell where the uh, play and their real life. Uh, start and begin or end and begin. So I, I really like the way that they did that. Um, other than that, I don't know. I don't know what else I could say about it. It's been a while since I've seen this. So uh, just by the way you describe the film, it kind of reminds me of Birdman. Is that, nah. is, I mean, just the structure of it. Right. A, a little, I mean, like, like the idea that an act, that an actor steps away from big time and doesn't Yeah. Play. She's not, she's not washed up though. Well, I mean, she's still a strong actress. She's just trying to find like what her next kind of step is. It's different in that, um, she she's actually becoming her real life is actually starting to mirror the play in that way. So it's it's different from Birdman in that sense. Like so uh, so yeah. I just meant face value. Yeah, a little bit. Look, I'm I'm not on board with what Kiko's saying on this one. Um, I saw it a little bit differently. Um, what Kiko might call uh meta 
I would call way too on the nose. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's to the point where you're like, okay, we get it. It's like the play. Uh, <laughs> like, I, like, I mean, it's just you're kind of hit over the head with it a little bit too hard. Um, I agree on Kristen Stewart. I think she's really good in here. Um, I just found the whole thing extremely dull. Um, you know, the line reading scenes. I think that the play that's within the movie is not interesting. I don't think it's. I don't. I think it's poorly written. I think that was one of the points, though. She realizes that it is, and but she's still going to do it anyway because. But but it, but you have to remember this is seen as a like a, a very highly regarded play within the right. context of the movie. Right, right, and but at the same time, like she doesn't know what she's doing with her life, kind of thing. So I mean, is this a good? Is this a good move for her? I think. I think. I really think that the. Because it does, as they're reading the lines or you're hearing this play within a movie, yeah, you have to uh, identify that those scenes are really corny. So I think that it was done on purpose. But see, I disagree with you because I think that the play is meant to be really amazing. It's an amazing work of art, but she just cannot identify with the character. And I think that that is the thing in it. I don't think it says anything about the play because the play is talked about as this giant thing so big that they're doing a revival by one of the most famous and well-regarded directors. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't do that for a shitty play. So um, I think that the the play within the movie is boring. I think the movie itself is boring. Um, You know, the relationships, uh, the relationship between Kristen Stewart and Juliette Binoche is, you know, it's, it's on the nose, man. It's, it's, I don't know what else to say about it other than, um, it becomes very evident very early on what the film is trying to do, and um, it does so in a pretty obvious way. And I know I'm in the minority, but I just found it – I found the whole thing dull. Yeah, I just – I mean it's really slow. Don't get me wrong, but I just really like the way that they're uh, – Kristen Stewart and Julia Binoche's characters uh, inter- interact with each other and how their relationship changes throughout the the, the whole thing. And I mean, it's, in- it's it's it was cool to see uh, Kristen Stewart in a role that – she's never done before but at the same time like just so different from what you perceive her life to be so like i liked her a lot better in camp x-ray oh no see i didn't i didn't i mean i thought that movie was okay but um yeah i mean she's she'd be the person to have this assistant she wouldn't be the assistant you know what i mean so to see her being in this like more secondary role this uh you know uh, kind of She's always like she's a kind of sub like she's a servant to her boss type of role. Did you f- was 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 kind of interesting to me. One so. last thing I want to ask because I felt this way. Did you find the inside Hollywood stuff a little too or a little off putting at all? The uh, the idea that this sort of exists within the Hollywood that we live within. So there's a lot of talk about like, oh, I have a photo shoot scheduled for whatever, or do you want to take this role as the whatever. I don't. I just found that a little off-putting and a little too like inside baseball at times. Well, I think that that's what a meta type of film. And you, you don't consider it meta, so I mean, I don't know. So I think. I'm, no, I'm not saying it's it's it's. I'm I think that saying... that's what the the kind of referencing is supposed to be. I thought it was. I thought it was actually funny when they brought stuff like that up. I mean, I think that that's where a lot of the humor came out because they are making fun of superhero movies at times, and you know, the superhero movies that they do show are. Look more like parody of superhero movies and stuff like that. Um, not that that's a, even a big part of this film. I mean, they're not like making fun of, you know, American-made movies or anything like that. But it's just a different world that they're living in. I think that's what I liked about it. Julia Binoche is trying to find 
where she is supposed to be now. And um, this play is either going to make her or break her type of thing. Not only, not financially, but I'm talking emotionally, um, if she can get back to where she uh, used to be as an actress. So um, I enjoyed it. All right, grades. I really like this a lot. I'm going to give it a, a B plus. Uh, I would probably go with a C, possibly C plus. Um, did not dig it at all. C for clouds. Uh-huh. Those are great scenes too. The clouds of uh, the clouds <laughs> scenes are awesome. They're uh, I guess it's like a something in the natural world. These clouds go through the Swiss Alps, mm. and they look like snakes. So they're rounding and rounding out the. Running out the, the the mountains. Look, man, I don't know. It's it's it's, me, it's metaphor. <laughs> oh, is it? I can't imagine that clouds would be, ever be metaphor. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move into our last movie, Tales of the Grim Sleeper. I seen him circle the block. Asked me where I was going, and he says, "Come on, I'll take you." He would want to take pictures of me. It was one door that he had locked from the inside, and I knew. I was trapped. I was trapped. Back in the 1980s, we had a count of 90 women. These murders stretched over a 25-year period. I wondered how this was possible. Hi. Imagine if they would have treated victim number three as if she was a student over at UCLA with blonde hair and blue eyes. The police don't care because these are black women. We don't mean nothing to them. The lack of concern allowed for this hunting ground. I tell my own son, whatever you do, do not call 911. This was a community that has survived against all odds. Documentarian Nick Broomfield digs into the case of the notorious serial killer known as the Grim Sleeper, who terrorized South Central Los Angeles over a span of 25 years. We all saw this, right? Mm-hmm. Cody, you could start. Yeah, this is a this is part of the HBO documentary series that is airing every Monday night. And something that we decided to start covering because they're doing really amazing things with documentaries. Like we covered uh, a couple weeks ago, Going Clear, the Scientology doc. And, and next week we'll be talking about Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think the, the main – first of all, the movie's all right. Um, I didn't think it was anything special. Yeah. Um, I think that the main issue I had with it is an issue I have with a lot of documentaries, and I think it's maybe maybe I should rethink things, and maybe this is just an inherent problem with documentaries. But again, a major lack of focus. Um, is your documentary about the Grim Sleeper, his crimes, his victims, uh, uh, the survivors, um, or is it about how the police handled the situation? Um, which was that um, they didn't treat it as a serial killer. They kept a lot of information that could have potentially helped them find him uh, away from the public and how they dealt with it. And then, of course, you know, there's some racial undertones, obviously, as you heard in the clips. Um, And I think it suffers from a lack of focus uh, and maybe spending too much time where they shouldn't. Spending the one time with this former prostitute, a former, I think. Pam? Yeah, and and her going around asking current prostitutes in L.A. I, uh, she becomes a freaking producer on this movie, basically. Yeah, I mean, she does yeah. as much work as he does. Yeah, and it's going around asking them, "Hey, were you around when the Grin Sleeper was around?" Which, okay, that's fine. But again, what it it didn't it never it was never a really fruitful endeavor as far as the documentary was concerned. You don't think she got a lot of of insight into? I mean, she, these people are telling her things that they've never told people before. So, it's But like, I'm, I'm talking about how... 
uh, <laughs> another fly, everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about how how much time they spend of her seeking out these people versus the return that it got. I I think that would have been a. a it's still there. Keep I going. know. I see. It's still alive. Fucking fly. Get him! Get him! Get him! He's behind the he's behind the blinds. Okay, let's just let, <laughs> let's just let the fly go. Okay, all right. Guys. Anyway, so uh, as we're talking about this racially charged, uh, I think it was timely. Uh, I think it was very timely in terms of the racially charged uh, uh, narrative. I yeah. mean, we're in you know things that are happening in Baltimore right now. Are cops? Do cops care about black lives? Uh, the same thing here. I mean, I do. Like you heard in the clip, would people care if ten uh, white women went missing or were killed? Back in the, you know... Well, they even used some a term, uh, it was NHI, uh, when it was like a hooker or a prostitute that turned up dead. And it was a term that the cops used for non-human involvement. Yeah. Mm, right. Which is like, holy fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that said, this movie is way too long. You think so? I, I think at about 45 minutes, it stops running out of things to say. And maybe that's part of the focus issue, is that... We never really quite delve into this guy's life. I mean, it just kind of seems like everybody knew he was the killer. Yeah. And then uh, the kind of long-awaited payoff with his son. Yeah, and and not that that scene is interesting because they never ask him about, hey, what do you think about what your dad's accused of? Yeah. Like they never touch on that. That's like question number one. Uh, and and you're absolutely right. Um, you don't really find out anything about him other than maybe his his sexual. Uh, endeavors and that that probably a lot of people were well aware that he was right but you never found out what led him to committing murders right. instead of these sex crimes that he yeah. was doing like you there's there's never any context of how it escalated to murdering people uh i mean don't get me wrong it's a crazy story i mean he's he could be responsible for a hundred murders all of women all of whom uh he had some sort of sexual interaction with and like disturbing sexual interaction yeah lots of photo taking lots of really and, and you know one thing i do like is is how the, the evolution that starts with his three friends on the porch who are yelling at the director that if, was the one of the stupidest things when he they think he's like oh, i thought uh peck of wood was a term of endearment yeah, that's stupid like, shut the fuck up but i do like how that turns from that until hey he didn't do it. We don't think he did it. To a couple days later, he gets a the director gets a call from one of those guys. He's like, "Well, now that I think about it, <laughs> he was going around. He tried to kidnap this woman yeah. when we were out looking for cars to steal. Like that, that was that was. I mean, the revelation is ridiculous. First of all, because it's like you know what? Now that I think about it, when we tried to kidnap that one girl, it was a, I, <laughs> it was a little fishy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, at the beginning of this film suffers a lot from the documentary and, and throwing himself in the middle of it. I yeah. I agree. Um, I agree. He looks. I don't know. I don't know this guy's other work. I may have. He seen did him. a movie on Eileen Wuornos, the kill, serial Aileen killer. Wuornos. Wuornos is that how you pronounce it? The one from Monster. Yeah, okay. selling of a killer serial killer. He did a Heidi, Heidi Fleiss movie. He did a Kurt Cobain movie called Curtain Courtney. Oh, that's a really uh, well known. Yeah, uh, and then he did one on Biggie and Tupac. But it, like the throwing himself in the middle of this, like looking like a goon walking down the street with a giant microphone and headphones on, <laughs> walking through South Central. It's just a ridiculous sight, uh, and I thought I was fearful that the whole doc was going to be like that, and it, it calms down later. But still, like this thing's an hour and forty five minutes, and I think it just runs out of gas. I do too. That's a good point. Um, you know, at at an hour in, I was like, "What else is? What else is to this story?" 
and it was just letting out dribs and drabs of of people. Uh, what? I don't know. That made me laugh. Dribs and drabs. Dribs and drabs. Just, just dribbling out this information about you know people, what they saw along the way. Like this one guy who was a carpet cleaner was like, you know, I cleaned the carpet in his van, and I thought that was oil, but. <laughs> now that I think about it, it was probably blood. Yeah. So it's just a lot, a lot of, that of that stuff over and over again. I think the most kind of chilling insight comes from uh, his son's ex-girlfriend who was in the house at the time. And it, kind of the most coherent narrative. Can I tell you about a, uh, a, um, <laughs> a, a, a an unintentional funny moment of this film? What? Do you remember where um, the scene where they're – it was after he was arrested and they're photographing all of the stuff in his house and there's just tons of porn. Yeah. Like they, they show – there's pictures – they uh, have pictures of the DVDs of porn and the VHS tapes. In one of the shots, uh, if you look for it, there's a bunch – a huge stack of porn and then next to it off to the side is a copy of Hitch. <laughs> and I just – I laugh so hard. <laughs> yeah, he's got some good taste in yeah. movies. See, it doesn't really like – and I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just the age we live in. Maybe I just seen have seen too much porn. <laughs> but the, I, I want to know where this is going. But the, but the presence of porn itself is not the shocking thing uh, at all. Like, and it's and the movie seems to kind of think that is. I don't. I I think maybe the presence of a porn collection, but not what he was doing, like photographing. <laughs> well, no, that's fine. I'm talking about like the store bought stuff. That oh you yeah, see. not like the crazy. Oh yeah, like ooh, he was into porn. Yeah, like oh, he's got DVDs of porn. Like okay, so now somebody with a big VHS porn collection is a crazy person. Maybe they're. Just well, like... I don't know. The movie, the movie seems to kind of make that connection, and I don't know that it's successful. I mean, obviously, the fucking photographs are chilling and disturbing. Yeah. But... I also would have, and I don't know how far along it is and if this is an issue, but I would have liked a lot more about the case against him, the court case and yeah. what's going on or like the police investigation. Or or even the the movie touches on there was a, a cop arrested for these murders. Yeah. And then yeah. was exonerated. Mm-hmm. What happened? What right. the fuck was that about? Right. We don't, we don't find out a lot about the current case and what it is or more about this person and, and and you know it might be partially because he's still a mystery and in the case is ongoing but still um I, I just felt i couldn't help but feel like you know not only does it stall a little bit but there's more that there could have been that you know if you're going to spend an hour and 45 on this at least put some more interesting stuff in here or that at least more pertinent to the case because i think that's one of the important. I mean, you want to see the fallout of it, right? I mean, you want to know what's happening to this guy, or how the how the case is being built, or uh, you know, things like that. So, yeah, yeah and and it puts a lot on the back of uh, of people that are are downtrodden. You know, whether they're former crack addicts or uh, yeah. former prostitutes, um, and it's their relay of stories. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to immediately dismiss that as. Well, not I mean, trustworthy, but it, there's no. I mean, you talk about character witnesses and yeah. trials. I mean, there's no, there's no law enforcement point of view. But even then, you know what? Now that I think about it, that's a great point because, uh, you know, let's say he did go to trial and we had these witnesses. Are they going to call a witness to the stand who was like a former prostitute, a former crack addict? Like, I mean, it's that's a legitimate thing they could have explored. Yeah. Um, you know, the the closest we get is kind of his lawyer throwing a hissy fit. Uh, in the courtroom over that was delaying. funny yeah that was really really strange because i mean the 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 evidence that that these people describe seeing firsthand 
is really damning. You yeah. Know? And and but I'd like to know what the actual case was. You know what what were the charges brought against him? What were the what are the basis of the charges? You know was he mm-hmm. you know was it just finally like oh fuck we found this murderer that we've been ignoring under our noses for the last twenty five years. Um, but yeah, re- the relaying of of information while not untrustworthy just because these people are in the position that they are, it does call into question maybe the motivation. Because um, one guy talks about there having been a $250,000 reward, and he thinks that maybe this guy, that uh, the Grim Sleeper, the accused Grim Sleeper was setting him up, uh, was dropping hints so that this guy would get the reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, which seems dubious, but... I also think I the know. fact that they don't get the big interviews. I mean, I would have liked to have them. I, I would have liked to have seen them get somebody that, you know, fucked this case up over the last twenty years and yeah. t- said why this happened. I mean, I know they went after uh, the former mayor. What is his name? Antonio Villagrosso. Yeah. and he refused to um, refused to part- participate. Well, why though? I mean, of course, it's going to make them look terrible. But at the same time, you know, it would have been interesting to see. I wonder what really, happened. Well, I wonder really what the I mean, what a mayor who came into office, you know, twenty years after the, right. the thing started, really has to say about it. I mean, because the no, LAPD is has been through some notorious incidents in the last twenty five years. Right. Um, you know, the the whole upheaval in the nineties with uh, with both the Rodney King thing and the riots, and then the the OJ Simpson thing, and just it's it's never been. It's never quite had its house in order since then. But when he did have the the press conference when he was caught, the grim sleeper, I mean, he basically said that LAPD was the hero in the story. And yeah, but what else are you gonna say? You know, that's I mean, true. Because they made the arrest, apparently, right? I mean, it wasn't. And he but he said like they, they they've been working tirelessly. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't put much stock in press conferences like that because you know what else is gonna happen? You know right. what else are they gonna say? Uh, ultimately, though, I was disappointed in the movie. Really, I thought the structure was a little messy, but I, I thought it was intriguing enough to recommend. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of these docs from HBO. There's some really good stuff that I've seen in the past, and then um, they're getting really uh, they're building up their their they've got all their the, library of them in in a really impressive the, way. They've got the cred for it after oh, Game yeah. of Thrones and everything else. Yeah, well, HBO is doing some interesting stuff right now. All right, cool. grades, Pico? I, I like that. I would recommend it. I'm giving this a, a B minus. You know what? I think I'm going to go C plus. I don't think I'd recommend it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I feel like it needed at least some part of the trial. Yeah. You know, it needs it needs a step away from <coughs> people just telling us what they saw. Right. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So I think it <clears> – <throat> I don't know. Maybe they just were done. They d- couldn't get anything else. Or maybe the trial hasn't started moving yet. I mean it's been slow moving and they keep on delaying it. So maybe that's the case. If so, if that's the case, then maybe delay the film until more has happened. Or, yeah, know. or maybe cut cut the runtime in half and, and, and promise a follow-up. Yeah, do like the Paradise Lost movies did. Yeah. That could be a opportunity. I mean it hasn't. He's still in jail waiting trial, I think, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So – as of when the film was, I guess, completed. You know? Right. Anyway, uh, so you can watch that on HBO Go. HBO Go, HBO On Demand. HBO Now, I assume. HBO Now, yeah, and then just plain old HBO. I think it's going to be on tomorrow night, May 4th mm-hmm. as well. That's as, I think that's maybe on HBO 2. 
Yeah. I think Kurt and Courtney, I mean, uh, sorry, Kurt Cobain montage of Heck premieres Monday, May 4th. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. That's, uh, that's the last review, so that's going to do it for this week. What's next week? Well, as always, we never know, but... Uh, We've got uh, Hot, Hot, Pursuit. Hot Pursuit. Hey, that's set in San Antonio, guys, isn't it? Woo! I know it's, it's, uh, Reese Witherspoon has an Alamo on her patch. That's really all I know. Well, she's it's part of the San Antonio, Antonio Police, Police Department. Department. Oops. SAPD. And we've also got... Um, uh, you and I are going to a screening of The Room. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we could probably brush it's, that uh, in. The Rift Tracks uh, showing of The Room that we've teased here a few weeks for a few weeks we gave away tickets last week to some winners uh, of course i had my interview with the riff tracks guys and with tommy was so uh give that a listen that's epi- bonus episode six mm-hmm. you can also check both the videos out at cinesnob.net yeah so we'll talk about that we've also got uh like i said um kurt cobain montage of heck yeah uh so everybody watch that on monday night so we can all so you know what we're talking about uh we've also got i am big bird it's coming oh, yeah. out on VOD. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I watched that the other day. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm really excited. Um, and then we've got some ones that may or may not open. Um, Five Flights Up, uh, movie with Morgan Freeman and Diane Keaton, is on the calendar for next week. I don't know if it's coming out. <laughs> I've never even heard of that. Five Flights Up with Morgan. Sounds like a red box. And, uh, and The Salt of the Earth is also listed oh, nice. as 5-8. Again, we don't know this for sure until... Uh, the the times come the, out. But. The fact is, big movies are still steering clear of the Avengers. Yeah, it's until, it's going to be like that until Mad Max. Yeah, that's the next in, week in Pitch Perfect two. Are you looking forward to Pitch Perfect two? I am. I actually really like Pitch Perfect. Did you like Pitch Perfect also? Kiko? No. Why not? We're gonna sing. We're gonna do the whole review in acapella. <laughs> Here, do the cups thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have to put the mic somewhere else. You're just gonna drop all your slushy, my slurpy, slurpy. Sorry, hours ago. Uh, anyway, and don't forget about our screening May 11th at Alamo Draft House. Days Park North. Infused, quote Days, along. Days Infused, quote along. Five dollars. Uh, buy your tickets online because they, it is reserved seating. Yeah, and you should be able to also go to the box office and purchase your tickets as well. Um, Last and just be be mindful that we sold out our Pee Wee screening last time, so um, we're hoping to sell this one out again. Uh, and if you haven't been to one of our screenings, we've been told they're good. <laughs> we're gonna have some prizes too to give away. Yeah, uh, we always do. We did some trivia last time. I think we'll do that again this time. Okay, so that works. Bone up on your D and C trivia. Yeah, that's dazed and confused. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we also have. Um, we are. Very closely approaching our one-year anniversary of this marvelous show. Um, marvelous, get it? Because we mm, talked about Avengers. Marvelous. Our first, our first uh, show featured a comic book movie too. Yes, it did. Days of, Age, Days of Future Days Past. Days of Future Past. So uh, we're we're gonna do hopefully a live event um, where you can hear this show and watch it be done live. We'll see how the sausage is made live. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's watch that ugly. Ki- it's that ugly. Watch dude. Kiko noodle on his phone for most of the show and, and on yeah. other things. Yeah, watch, watch how watch how little Kiko is dialed into this show. <laughs> we're we're just playing clips of Kiko we recorded. Yeah, it's years. a Kiko soundboard we have. <laughs> it's just like who's this comical character over and over again? <laughs> who's Thanos? What? Yeah, fucking Thanos. Anyway, so yeah, we're look, we're we're still working on finalizing the details for that, but it'll probably be the uh, we were we were 
we're waiting to plan it around <laughs> yeah. naive, well, I guess optimistically, uh, Spurs finals appearances, but that's but, done. Now. Yeah, that's out of the question. But we are looking at, uh, I think, the first week in June. Yeah, first week of June or the last weekend of May. Uh, that's Memorial there. Day, so I don't know that we want to do that. The last week of May. Oh, I thought last I, weekend of May. Okay, I thought that I thought that it for some reason I thought that May the end of May and the end of June was on an actual weekend, but I don't know. What? I like I thought <laughs> that like it was something like the the like the third the thirtieth was on the thirty first was on a Sunday and the right no not this year haven't looked at a calendar it's um it's actually very close I think the first is on a Monday June first is on a Monday okay but that's Memorial Day weekend Aww. yeah. Anyway, what's opening Memorial Day weekend? Uh, Memorial Day weekend is uh, come on, come on, Tomorrowland and oh. San Andreas, I believe. Oh, and I'm really looking forward to Tomorrowland. San Andreas, I can't believe they're still making movies like that. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it, that should be like an asylum movie. It feels like like that was something that should have happened in 2005. 2005, more like 1995. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking stupid. The Rock wasn't big enough to. Start. I love I love The Rock. But... Yeah, no, I do too. I think I mean I, I still think he can be the biggest action star ever. So maybe this is going to help him. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to Tomorrowland. Me too. I was at Tomorrowland at Disneyland. Was it magical? No, it's really kind of a mess right now because it's mm. being renovated, and my friend thinks it's gonna they're gonna turn that into the Marvel area. That's that's going to come to Disneyland, but I think they're going to turn that into the Star Wars area, and turn Toontown into the Marvel area. Because who gives a shit about Toontown? Nobody. You know, there's uh, you're you're a fan of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No, no, I, I'm not familiar. He's ever seen Roger Rabbit? I think I no, I have, but it's just been. <laughs> have you seen years. Akiko? Oh, I grew up with that movie. I there's a movie. there's a Disney's California Adventure is begging for Roger Rabbit presence mm-hmm. because it's like 1920s 1930s oh, hollywood right. i'm like why the fuck is roger rabbit not all over this motherfucker yeah i God want them to make a sequel really heck yeah could you imagine now the technology yeah you remember i remember seeing the uh, footage of how they did it with like they would have like real strings holding the gun like oh and like and uh moving well bob hoskins is dead so oh well, yeah but couldn't make a sequel but he had a, a there was a scene son <sighs> Bob Hoskins Jr. Yeah, <laughs> is, is that a real no, person? I mean the character's son, oh. not Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see, see the making of where uh, there's the scene where Roger is supposed to be handcuffed to him, uh-huh. and the handcuffs they, keep, they pull. Well, but he but he's like controlling it with hand movements. Uh-huh. There was God, there was just a real artistry in that, like just trying to figure out how that would. How yeah, that would how work to move back then. real things around, and but now it's just be oh, it's a fucking computer. Yeah. yeah, put it in the computer. It'd be cool if they did it the old school way. They'll never do that. That'd be stupid. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> like let's Christmas. just let's just redo an industry. <laughs> anyway. Uh so anyway. They did a little bit of that in uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or they would Isn't that something to like that people like when they do what are they called? Um I don't know what you mean. When they when they, when they do special effects, but they do them like practical effects. Practical effects, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So but I don't think that's a lost art. People yet. people get boners over that stuff, even though it doesn't mean anything. Like people are so excited that the new Star Wars film 
has practical effects. Like, but you has can real tell. Sets. But you can tell. But no, you can't. Like oh, that. Oh, of course you can. Dude, that little robot on the beach ball, the beach ball robot. Um, that's in the new Star Wars yeah, trailer. Yeah. Do you think Is that, that a practical effect? What do you think? I think it's a. Uh, I don't remember. I have to watch it again. Well, if you probably to, uh, do, I would say it's computer generated. Nope, it's real. But if you can't tell the difference, what's the difference? I think you I'm can saying. tell the difference. There are ta- times. well, there are plenty of bad special effects. You're right, but there are plenty of times you can see that it's a shitty, you know, set as well. Like for King Kong, like why couldn't you just get a big ape? <laughs> <laughs> for Jurassic Park, why don't you just bring those dinosaurs we found? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us at nine two zero film two one zero. Nine two zero. You're you're nodding your head. I like that, Cody. Like I'm getting it right. <laughs> you're nine, nailing it. Nine two zero film two one zero nine two zero three four five six two one zero. Do you have any giveaways right now? No. <laughs> no, not the right. Sorry. Uh, cool. Oh, you know, you would. I have I have hard hard tickets for. Um, we should have talked about this beforehand, but I have hard tickets for Pitch Perfect two. So we'll, okay, we'll, we'll drop them off somewhere. Well, yeah. Stay tuned to uh, our Facebook page and Twitter. We'll tell you where you can pick up hard passes. That'd be paper passes for uh, Pitch Perfect 2. We say hard passes. People may not know what that means. Oh, yeah. Hard tickets. Hard tickets. They're erect. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the Anna Kendrick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. She's attractive. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) But she violated so many ethics codes. Oh, and 50-50. Let's not even talk. That's a different podcast, guys. (laughs) I should do a podcast about psychology movies where ethical... Lines are crossed. But it was for love. Uh, sorry, but I would have reported her <laughs> to the board. <laughs> what if you were her patient? Oh, oh I would have yeah. been fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's uh, anything else? That's it. Nah. Let's wrap right. it up. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.